Blog Talk Radio. here. 
with a capital H. And I have to tell you, Barbara, if I seem very energized, and I often can be, but it's because I am I'm coming right off reading your book in in a really good part. <laughs> and and it's a wonderful book, Barbara. Um I I want to talk to you about um how you are a wonderful writer of fiction. It is I mean it's as good as any bestseller. I mean it's just wonderful. And and so let's start this with that. How is it, Barbara, that you have come to write fiction now for us? Well, what happened for me was that um, three year, two, three years ago, I was 70 years old. And uh-huh. I'd spent my whole life basically doing whatever people needed me to do, including raising four kids and working for a publishing company and writing a whole bunch of nonfiction books. And so I decided it was my time to do what I always wanted to do secretly, which was to write uh-huh. fiction. Perfect. <laughs> but I wanted to do even in my 20s. But um, <clears throat> there was no way that I could do it, nor did I think I could publish it. And so yeah. I just yeah. put it out there into the universe back in 2011 that it was time for me to do what I wanted to do, to write fiction. And then, lo and behold, um, all the characters in this book appeared in my office um, during uh, one morning in May 2011. And they gave me their um, names and their ages and their profession and their basic um, outlook on life. And I took notes on everything. And then I told my husband about it, Jerry, whom I teach with, yeah. And I I told him what was happening, and he just said, "You you have to you have to write this. You you have to do a novel." And up until this yeah. point, Jerry had not encouraged me um, to write books. I mean, because I was always <coughs> doing so much. Excuse me. Um, yeah. The last thing he was going to do is encourage me to do something more. But in this case, he just felt like they were um, so vital and so alive that they needed to have a chance to come forth for us. And so I didn't plot it. Um, I just uh-huh. let them do their thing together among among each other. And I really think the question is, what's fiction? Well, for me, I'm a lover of good fiction, especially classical fiction. And yeah. I think the most important thing about fiction is that the characters are so real and lifelike and engaging that once you open the covers of that book, you're in their world. And so the question was, could I really bring these characters forward? And I, I feel that I've been able to do it. It's actually very difficult. You have to be able to mm-hmm. hear them. You have to be able to smell the environment that they're in. You have to be able to feel them. But I do feel these characters are very real. Yes, yes. You you do it beautifully, Barbara, beautifully. I feel like you must be bringing forward any number of, of writers of fiction, you know, through through you because they're they're – I mean, it, and and what what I'd like to say that I've observed so far is that, um, and I will admit to the listeners, uh, often I finish books before the show, but this time I'm at a really good part in the book. There's no way that I'm going to reveal the end because <laughs> I'm in the midst of it and I am really enjoying it. I mean, it is it is approachable. It is a romance. I mean, it is a very real romance. And well, I you know, life is a romance. That's <laughs> At least it. as far as I'm concerned, life is a romance. <laughs> yes, yes. And you capture that, and and that's what makes this so engaging. And what I love about this book, Barbara, is that it's not just for, and I'll put this in quotes, you know, the spiritual people. It, it's something that I feel will draw in really anyone 
who has a curiosity. I mean, it, it's it's something that um, that I feel can reach out to people who may not have even stumbled upon your work or explored it in any other way. Yeah, and this is a good point, and this is the secondary reason why I wrote it. Um, throughout the years, um, I've written all these different books about the Mayan calendar and geology and physics and all the different um, fields that I've gone into. And I've always been a little bit frustrated by um, this type of work not getting to the larger audience. Um, because yeah. because people who are not reading about some of the um, great um, ideas of our times are really missing a lot as far as I'm concerned, particularly um, issues that have to do with multidimensional consciousness. And yeah. I feel like my most original work is coming from the Pleiadian Agenda and Alchemy of Nine Dimensions because yeah. those are the two books where I brought in a nine-dimensional theory. And it just so happens that the nine-dimensional theory that I work with is exactly the same as string theory. And so when string theory <coughs> excuse me, was, ver- was, ver- was verified at the end of 2012 through mathematics and through, um, through uh, the, the, uh, um, the CERN... Um, uh, what do I want to call it? Particle accelerator. Yes. Um, yes. At that point, I realized that it was really important for people to start to absorb and understand um, the issues that have to do with quantum physics and multidimensional consciousness, because that's the science of our times. And I think it's always dangerous when a science is functioning that the people don't understand. For example, all of the devices that everybody uses, cell phones, etc., are all based on this kind of science. And so my personal um, work in Alchemy of Nine Dimensions and um, Pleiadian Agenda has been, been to find ways to make this type of thinking, quantum physics and string theory, um, really available to people, finding ways to show how it actually does impact us in our personal and um, explorative um, lives. And so what goes on in the novel is a bunch of the char- some of the characters are interested in this, and it's by them mm-hmm. dialoguing with each other about these issues that I, <coughs> I think is making these um, complex thought patterns much more accessible to many more people. And so far, there's a wide range of readers for this novel. Some of them uh-huh. don't know anything, you know, about the subjects that we're talking about right now, and they're reporting back that they're learning things that they couldn't learn um, before. And so in that sense, there's this, my double agenda, the other agenda would be to get this kind of thought out to a larger audience. And I hope this book is going to do that. And yes. It's the first yes. book in the trilogy, of course, so two more are to come. So I'm working very, very hard to get the first one started so that there's going to be a whole group of people who are going to be able to follow this thought process from the beginning, which is right now with the first volume, and the timeline that this trilogy is covering is 2011 through 2020. And we're living in the middle of such amazing and sometimes very disturbing times. And hopefully yeah. this trilogy will be kind of a guide through a very um, tumultuous um, time, which is the change um, from the age of Pisces moving into Aquarius, which is the reason the world is so complicated right now. Yes, yes. Now, when you speak of how you have embedded in a, essentially um, the quantum world within these characters, something I'm observing that these characters are doing is they seem to um, 
they they quickly well, I don't know if quickly is the right word. Well, actually, it is spontaneously. In some cases, um, just find themselves in the visionary. They're 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 in a setting that inspires the visionary. They're with a person that inspires the visionary. And to me, that that's such a, an element of the multidimensional world. And I wonder if you could speak to that, Barbara, how your characters so beautifully, some of them anyway, um, just go into that place, even hearing voices and, and just some really seeing images, wonderful things. Yeah, and little fragments of past lives kind of float into their minds. Yes, and yes. As far as I can tell with most people, and, and by the way, this novel is two generations. The, the main young characters are like in their 30s, basically, early yes. 40s. And then the other group of characters are their parents. There's three sets of very, very bright parents in this book. And yes. um, one of the parents is a fairly conservative Catholic father and his wife. Another one is a, is a very brilliant <coughs> um, Jewish magus. And um, a, a third father is an Italian count who has a very, very deep reach into Italian culture. And so there's many, many different perspectives coming in. And it's through those different perspectives that we start to open up the keys into these dimensions. For example, a few of the characters, just like many readers, don't have any idea what any of this stuff is. And so by yeah. having those characters be skeptics and um, and resist this type of thinking yeah. takes yeah. us deeper yeah. into the fact that these ideas are, are really scientific ideas. And the question now is, are we going to wake up and understand our reality. And so it's through playing with characters, some of whom resist, others who persist in a really annoying way and just won't shut up. One of them is Claudia <laughs> Tagliati, an Italian woman. But it's through that interplay that I think things are, are coming out that have been very hard for people to grasp as far as I can tell. Yes. Yes. Um, now, something that that I've observed here is is many people, and I feel that that this is revealed in your book. So many people have what um, might be called the Catholic overlay or the fundamentalist overlay. I was raised by evangelicals, for example. I came from that path, and you know, even later in life, you can still be holding on to some of that. And and I feel that. One of the things that comes through this book is is how you work with that. How how people at you know at a, a young age and maybe even an older age um, can release that. And even sometimes past lives may have something to do with this as to what you've been in a past life, um, as to whatever you perceive as your limitations and how you're going beyond them. Yeah, and and I would say that I'm trying to think how to put this. Um, I think we all have these shadows and these fragments coming from our uh -huh. background. And in my case, uh -huh. um, I, was ra I was raised as a Protestant and then converted to Catholicism when I was 19 and took it very seriously. And my, my education in terms of um, BA and master's degrees are with Catholic institutions. And so yeah. I, have, I have this deep struggle with the church. And, of course, the background material in, in this book is the power of the church and the issue of um, priestly sexual abuse and yeah. the issue of how evil comes into our world. And so through my characters experiencing some of these levels of reality, then Christians, and especially Catholics, 
um, have the opportunity to process a lot of the issues that we've been dealing with that have just they've come to us from childhood, or in my case, early adulthood. And I just, for instance, with Catholic Catholic issue, issues like the sacraments, communion, and confession, you just you just follow the rules, you know. And yeah. then what happens is you start questioning. And so this book is going deeply into some very, very deep questions about what the sacraments um, mean for people, what's going on with the sacraments energetically, and then also how the church is using the sacraments as a way to gather power. So it's pretty deep exploration of um, those kind of shadow things, speaking of being an evangelical. Um, those shadow things are, are very deep issues for us. They affect our thinking, I think, more than we realize. Yes, yes. Can you explore, Barbara, the divine feminine seems to be a very important element here, and and um, women coming in tune with their, their inner intuition, their inner guidance. Um, you address some pretty deep issues there when, when people, um, you know, what... How how is that revealed through this story? The, the well, the um, the, the, there's the issue of what's the ruby crystal, and yeah, um, yeah. what happened with the book, and, and I could never predict this, and it was really an adventure because I didn't know what was going to happen. But as yeah. it turns out, Sarah Adamson is really playing out a lifetime that I was never able to play out, and what I mean by that is that after <coughs> after I finished my um, master's degree in theology with Matthew Fox. Then I wanted to get a Ph.D. in early church history in patristics. And this yeah. is 30, more than 30 years ago when I wanted to get a Ph.D. But I had four children and a job, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so what I did is I started getting my Ph.D. right then. I started studying early church history 30 years ago. And so yeah. Sarah Adamson, who's a, who's a graduate student getting her Ph.D. in Rome, um, is is like a very, very autobiographical character. And then, much to my great surprise, um, she went through a psychic awakening. Um, as soon as she started becoming sexual, um, she started waking up psychically um, by working with this ruby crystal ring, which is her engagement ring. And yeah. I think probably her psychic awakening probably actually parallels mine. I'm, I'm not actually sure about that. haven't really uh-huh. thought about it. But uh-huh. it certainly is a wonderful portrayal of a psychic awakening of a young woman um, in her 20s. Yes, yes. Now, something that um, I observe with Sarah is deep inside she seems to know the answers, you know, and, and I think that that's something that I think young people reading this book could also benefit from, and really people of any age where... Um, she encounters a character who is alluring, but but isn't isn't really um, in a in a good space for her. And then she has a, there there are multiple characters that she encounters that have some darkness to them that she intuitively feels, and and then also you know a lighter feeling. And and I wonder if you can explore that that development of intuition that people may have when they're getting more into quantum thinking, to really have that feeling and follow it, and even synchronicity as well. Yeah, as soon as we start waking up, awakening, we, and we, what's actually going on is dimensional um, 
awareness is starting to become available to us. Um, then what happens is the things that are going on in the other dimension start to affect us and impact on our lives. And this yeah. is the reason why the awakening process is such a delicate procedure. And this is the reason why so many of us are teaching people who are going through this and, and being there for them as they wake up, because it's very, very challenging. And one of the most challenging um, aspects of waking up is starting to see <coughs> um, sorry, I had a cold. Um, oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, well, you start to see what's going on in the fourth dimension. Now, this this dimensional um, analysis is coming from my own work. And the third dimension is linear space and time, like you and I being on the phone. And then yeah. the fourth dimension is the collective unconscious, the um, collective mind. And the fourth dimension has all of the um, attributes of everything that everybody's thinking about on the planet and feeling. And so when you start to wake up to that dimension, what's happening is you're waking up to the issue of the dark and the light. And it's very intense. For example, this is a few days after the bombing bombings in Paris, the attack yes. in Paris. Yes. And what happens with these kind of collective events is they open everybody up to yeah. the collective mind regarding um, East and West religious struggle, um, issues going on with um, refugees and, and Muslim Islamic issues. And as we, like, wake up to what's going on in those worlds and in those dimensions, it's very, very challenging. And so the book is exploring characters going through that kind of process and then has many different levels of discussion about that. And one of the great characters in that regard is David Appel. Um, Simon is, is the uh, young reporter. His father's yeah. name is David. And <clears throat> David is a Jewish magus. Um, the the uh, lineage of Isaac Luria is, is coming to him through his family lines. And yeah. so his contemplation of deep issues and multidimensional issues is very profound. And what was fun about writing fiction was he shares that with his son, and because their communication, the son and the father, is so compelling, I, I found whenever I sat down to have a conversation between David and Simon Appel, um, all I, I, I could have shut my eyes and just let my fingers roll along on the computer. They have such a profound connection that they literally wrote their dialogues themselves. And so it's through that sharing of father and son that we start to see such interesting attributes of reality. Yes, yes. I, you know, something I appreciate here is how you reveal that mysticism or this this interaction with a greater world, it's always been with us. And 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 you show that that natural flow there, multidimensional or multigenerationally is what I was going to say, but also multidimensionally, very much so. And and how it's into to the guidance of these characters and how they interact with one another at a deeper level. Yeah, did you, did you ever see a film called My Dinner with Andre? Yeah, I just a, mentioned yeah. that movie. Yeah, is, I was going to I know yeah, that, that movie influ- very well. <laughs> yeah, that influenced me a lot, and it also inspired yes. me. Yeah, it, it inspired me in my lifetime, this uh-huh. lifetime, to whenever I met anybody who was capable of going to a deeper level, which only happens sometimes, you know that is. Yeah. Then yeah. I would always really hang in there looking for one of those my dinner with Andre conversations, uh, if you yes. know what I mean. So so I find 
that's the interaction between two people that creates a third element, like a triangle, and that, or you could say that third element is the reader, you know, uh-huh. in the mind of the reader. And what happens is great wisdom and creativity and depth flows through that third point that comes from the dialogue between two interesting characters, if yeah. you see what I mean. It's yes, so that was the, yes, and they don't necessarily have to be on the same page because my dinner with Andre very much shows one just somewhat perplexed and mystified by this experience. And, and I will tell you, the reason that came up recently is PMH Atwater just came from Finhorn Gardens, and we discussed that last week on this show, and I was uh-huh, and I, talking yeah. about... It's totally synchronistic that you mentioned it, Barbara. I just have to say this because the <laughs> listeners are aware of this. We just talked about this movie and how when I was very young, I was very young in 1981 when that came out. I was still in high school and an evangelical. That movie reached to me and made me, it actually called me to Finhorn someday. I, I really feel it. I need to visit there. And But there were a lot of mystical elements in that movie, but also that movie has to do with one character we've all encountered this just listening very carefully but but also really mystified by the mysticism i guess you know and that but there's this honest conversation going on where they're discussing these things yeah and and what i find is it's because of that character who seems to not know very much um uh-huh or whatever, it seems to be kind of naive or whatever, it's through that character that the reader is drawn in. Because the yeah. reader is there, the reader is reading the book in order to learn, in order to advance their thought. And one of the things about writing nonfiction and all the books that I wrote is those that kind of writing forced me to attack a topic, research it thoroughly, and then write about it as best I could. So it was always me, you know, describing this or that and talking about this or that issue. And I just love the freedom of all these different individuals who, who are able to go after the same things, essentially, that I go, went after in all my research. But it's through, this, it's through that naivete and that reception of knowledge that the reader, I think, enters deeply in. It's really, really fun to write this way, by the way. It's yes, actually and, and, difficult. It's difficult. Uh-huh. You have to get yourself out of the way. You you have yeah. to really let them do what they're going to do. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I sense that you are inspiring others, Barbara, to write more fiction through this because I think that that something and, and I'd like to get into this a little bit just how you're able to reveal some things that you might have written about in a nonfiction book and and actually have in those who have read some some of your nonfiction and yet you you reveal it in the course of just these natural interactions between characters without making it feel like um you know a lesson so to speak it's just kind of interwoven like about the early church you know what you reveal about that there's some very interesting things that you discuss and and maybe we can talk about some of that as well just just exactly and you already touched on this but what happened in the early church well, I, the, the character that I went after was was the person who's known as the first heret, first Christian heretic. His name is Marcion um, of Pontus, and he he goes way way back to the uh, second century. And um, I went after Marcion in, initially just because he was the big heretic. Like, okay, yeah. why is why is he a heretic? Heretic means think differently. 
And then I got deeply into Marcion and came up with an issue that was Marcion's issue that I think is going to be a big deal in the coming years, which is the issue of what happened 2,000 years ago. Why did we lose (coughs) the essential um, thread with Jesus and who Jesus really was. And and as we know, the church did it and all that kind of stuff. But if we go back to Marcion's time, a lot of people in the world 2,000 years ago felt that Christianity should be an original religion and it should be based on new thought coming from Jesus coming to the planet and that it should not um, take, take on the background of Judaism and the Hebrew scriptures. And Marcion's issue was Marcion believed that Jesus was a God of love and yeah. that the God of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh, is is a God of the law. And he wasn't against Yahweh. Now, by the way, if you go back to that time, this is a time of incredible ferment on the planet. Yeah. And by the way, all the information in the book regarding Marcion and Gnosticism and early church issues is all very well researched and is all totally correct. And so if we go back to that period. Um, Marcion wasn't against Yahweh, didn't have any kind of negative issue about 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 Jews and the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. but he felt that um we were moving into an era where we should be working we where we should be relating to a God of love and he felt that Jesus's teaching was a teaching of love. And so this is, you know, most people listening to this 99% of People listening to this have never heard of Marcion, never thought about this issue probably, and yet if you go back to 150 A.D., Marcion's church was two or three times larger than the church in Rome. Um, His early church was a very, very big deal. And then he got crushed. And so going back to the first century, why why would I go back that far? Well, if we go back 2,000 years, we were going out of the age of Aries and into the age of Pisces. So this book also explores (coughs) what happened during the previous age transition because now we're in the middle of going out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius. So the book is looking deeply into what happens during the change of the ages. And I think this is a terrifically important issue because I think the kind of chaos that we're experiencing right now, for example, the attacks in Paris, um, these kinds of things happen every time we go through a change of the ages. And maybe if we can become more aware of how this process works, maybe it can be less violent and less chaotic and less disruptive. Yes, yes. And, you know, maybe this is a good time, Barbara. Um, I, I Normally when there's such a major event in the world, I might launch the show talking about that. It's just at this time I was so, I really was just totally immersed in the energy of your book, and and I wasn't, and, and you know, I think that now might be a good time to talk about this because it is very heavy in our hearts right now. Although many of us are finding ways to uplift our spirits, I chose to spend a great deal of time in nature, um, yeah, reconnecting because that's where I find my my link, so to speak, with a capital L. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you know, how can for we're all going through this um this this rocky time and there can be a lot of fear uh, right now and um how can we better navigate this time barbara with with hope that we are ushering in a new paradigm 
Yeah, yeah, and I think that what helps me at least, and maybe it'll be helpful to other people, is certainly the background of this trilogy, is to explore in depth the age of Pisces, which of course is the is the rise of Christianity, and then eventually the rise of Islam. And so, what we're dealing with when you come to the end of a great age, the age of Pisces is the age of organized religion. Then what happens is that the issues of that age, in this case, organized religion all get processed. They they all come to the surface and all of the elements that have been created over 2,000 years go through a, a very deep level of exploration and change. And I think if people can look at it more from that point of view, they might have a little perspective on it. And I'll give you a good example of that. Um, I was not impressed at all last year um, when um, the Charlie Hebdo magazine satirized Muhammad. Um, from my point of view, regarding the age of organized religion, you just don't satirize people's sacred cows. What's happening right now is that people are fighting for their God, whether it's an issue over Muhammad or whether it's an issue over the Christian God, the Catholic system, the Hebrew system, whatever it is. The one thing that doesn't work at a time like this is satire and making fun of others. And so what's going on in France, I think, is is directly connected with what happened last year that ended up in the tragic um, bombing of the people who worked at, at Charlie Hebdo. And I'm bringing this up not as a, a critique or not a, I'm not trying to defend anybody's point of view, but I think if you start looking at everything that's going on in terms of the struggling and processing of the um, organized religions of the last 2,000 years, I think you can get a lot more perspective on this. And then, and then the other question would be, well, then what's Aquarius about? You know, because we're coming out of Pisces and we're going into Aquarius. And this book, uh, Re- Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, is going back 2,000 years to the shift from Aries to Pisces. And one of the things it's doing is looking at Gnosticism. And the Gnostics, who were, who were the, the Christian believers who basically got squashed 2,000 years ago along with Marcion, the Gnostics believed that we all have the ability and the right to contact the divine directly. They, they believed that we do not need religions and organized structures in order to be in touch with the divine. And I think that's what the issue of the age of Aquarius is going to be about. I think it's going to be a return to the issue of the human having direct access to divine consciousness. And, of course, in my system, I define that as um, multidimensional consciousness, as nine levels of consciousness. I think that's where we're going back to yes. and forward oh. to, because Aquarius is going to be a very scientific age. It already is um, showing showing those signs now. They, the yes, the integration. Oh, so much to respond to. You said something very important, Barbara, and I, I want to return to this. In fact, I'll return to it in a different way, and I'll relate something. Um, a lot of times, because I came from an evangelical background, um, I've seen some examples in the news where people are mocking. Like there was there was an event. This was actually some time ago where there were some people who were mocking. Some some very conservative people saying, "Yeah, we're Satanists," you know, ha ha ha, you know, and they they were kind of um, they were belittling some things. But then I later heard a program where people generally they believe that, and I think what 
what can often be misunderstood, and this is revealed through your character of Sarah and her struggle with what's real, people actually believe these are not iconic things. They are, they are, you know, there are people in the world who believe we are struggling with demons, and there can be dark. You reveal some interesting dark characters in in your book, but when we satirize that, when we when we don't take the fact that these people take this very seriously, um, we actually um, are not truly addressing the path. We're not really going down the path to free everyone from that kind of fear. It, it actually makes it worse. It, 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 it exacerbates it in a way. And it's hard to point this out, um, but you just did in your own way that, that – we have to find a different way of of dialoguing with one one another and helping each other, helping set each other free. Yeah, and uh, that's a really astute um, uh, comment on your part, Susan, because th- this brings up another kind of interesting little thing here. All those characters appeared um, in May 2011, and then I start I got them all together and started getting them to do their thing. And the illustrator of this book is Liz Cloud. She's my daughter, and I think uh-huh. the illustrations are beautiful. Oh, and yeah. Liz, Lizzie is a Scorpio. So Liz said to me, she said, "Is there is there an evil character in this book?" And I said, "Oh yes, uh, there is. It's Armando Pierleoni, an Italian character." And so Lizzie said, she said. Mom, make sure you make him really bad. <laughs> and it's stuck in my head. It's stuck in my head. And I figured, well, okay, um, I'll just let him do his thing, which he really does. Oh, yeah. And then I reached a point, just at the point that you just were discussing a moment ago, where I was up against this edge, and there he is. Uh-huh. I created him. And now what's going to happen? And uh-huh. this would not be the time to draw cartoons about him, if you get my drift on Charlie Hebdo. Uh-huh. Not the point. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so what happened is another character appeared that morning, and Lorenzo Giannini, the Jungian analyst, appeared in my office. And he became uh-huh. a character, and he ended up, I, I didn't even know Armando was an analysis until I hit about the 30th chapter in the book. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then I realized, like, oh, he's had an analyst all the way through this situation. So what what I'm getting at for you is that um, Lorenzo Giannini's analyst, his ability to listen to Armando and draw yes. Armando out, which yes. then enabled Armando to understand why he was doing the things that he was doing. And I think that that dialogue and that <coughs> that deep, that uh, deepens in, in the sequel. I'm writing the sequel now. And uh-huh. Lorenzo Giannini is a major character because the characters in the book start intersecting with him because they start getting themselves analyzed. And oh. um, back in 1982, before I went to graduate school, I almost became a Jungian analyst. I was right on the edge of it. And so fortunately, I had gotten deeply into analytic work. And so when <coughs> when Lorenzo <coughs> came through, it was possible to have him be a real true Jungian analyst. So again, the issue would be in fiction, you get all that perspective. If you can see what Lorenzo Giannini sees going on with Armando, then you start to be able to see how evil functions in the world. Yeah. And also the solutions for it. Of course, being his analyst, um, Lorenzo also finds solutions with Armando. 
Yeah. Now, you haven't gotten into that part of the book. You've only I was going to say, you're, 20, I'm, so I'm you, listening. That, that's that's okay. And, yeah, I'm not going to give and, you anything away, but you're in for a treat. You know, I, I, I have to say, you know, and, and I'm an honest interviewer. You know, I'm not going to come in and say, oh, I finished the book. You know, because truthfully, and I say this honestly, um, this is this is a powerful story, but it's also not something to race through. There is a lot of information in here. It's very easy to want to go quickly through the the really, um, I mean, I guess I could say juicy parts. It's like there's a really, you know, tantalizing story going on. But there's also a lot of depth here. And and you want to spend time with this book. I want to tell the readers that. Spend time with this book because there's a lot of information in it. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And I'm actually really happy. I'm I'm exactly where I am for a reason, because actually I just got through the part where that evil was revealed in a, in a you know, and and then I'm looking forward, I see that, you know, coming up, there's a redemptive part, and so I'm thinking, huh, now isn't that interesting? And yeah. so so it's, it's wonderful to be in the midst of the energy of the intrigue of your book, and it being a trilogy, the end is no doubt much that way, too, because this story is going to continue for those who are at that part of the book and have finished the first one. So, okay, as far as a question in the midst of this, you know, um, I, I think that it's important to address, okay, let's talk about what I said, the, the juicier storyline, because you know what? It's very deep. And I think that's important because I don't want to diminish that by saying that because what this book is also about is a woman's coming to terms with the sacred and and really um, not listening to... In fact, I, I quoted one part. We just talked about how people think demons are real. Sarah, this young character, has a conversation with her father. You know, she has this very conservative overlay and at one point, she talks about um, how, you know, sexuality is associated with unleashing demons, you know, that she's struggling with this. And, you know, Barbara, you have explored all of this very honestly in your work. There's all kinds of evidence of kundalini awakening within what's happening to to Sarah, what she describes, her spine, and, and different things. So, very complex question, as usual, I tend to ask these. I'm just going to throw this out to you as to, to what a powerful theme this is. And it's not light. It is wonderful in light, but it's also very deep and powerful. Well, let's go back to it. Let's go back to demons. What's, what is that, you know? And this is where the multidimensional perspective just really straightens people out. And when I say straightens people out, I mean that it enables them to be sane in the third dimension and be able to live their lives, their family life and their ordinary life, and also to have the ability to contemplate these deeper issues. And so from one point of view, from the multidimensional point of view, demons are real. And they reside in the second dimension, and that's the realm below the third dimension, the telluric realm under the earth, and they also reside in the collective mind, which is very obvious from watching collective events. And so if you are able to be firmly located in your life in the third dimension, you have the ability to actually understand these forces 
that are operating in the second and the fourth dimension. And, of course, the book is doing that by having the various characters um, living with fourth dimensional breakthroughs and second dimensional forces. You haven't gotten to the part mm-hmm. of the book yet mm-hmm. um, where the second dimension becomes a major issue. And mm-hmm. it's something that I um, <coughs> couldn't resist exploring in this book because through Rome, according to Dr. Um, Carl Johann Kalamann, the uh, Mayan calendar researcher that I'm the most closely associated with, um, Carl has written a great deal about a midline, which is a planetary line going through um, from like Gabon in Africa, through Tunisia, up through Rome, through Germany, and up through Scandinavia. And as a matter of fact, at the current moment, the refugees that are escaping Syria and Iraq are moving right up that midline through Germany, which is really amazing. I'm watching that. That That's going to be a big deal in the sequel, which I'm writing now. Uh But the issue would be that understanding how the midline affects consciousness on this planet is gives us a, a readout on how the second dimension is affecting our awareness. And the second dimension, the Telluric realm, is the realm of PowerPoints, sacred sites, midlines, all kinds of energy power structures in our planet itself. And the Vatican built Rome, or built uh, the Vatican in Rome right on that midline, deliberately from my point of view. Or at least they were naturally drawn to it and sensed the power there. So the book is exploring in depth the way that midline is affecting consciousness. And I really think, Susan, I think this is a very big deal. I'm going to explore it all the way through this trilogy in order to understand it better. Yes. I think what we're witnessing here, Barbara, this is so fascinating because of your process in writing the first book and how, you know, all these things were happening in 2012. You know, a lot of people look back, I've heard people say, I hear various um, sources say different things, and I know you've said some important things, is that they look back on 2012 and they say, ah, you know, nothing happened. Well, you talk about how, you know, a lot happened. Yeah, plenty happened, and what happened was... Yeah, a fun, what happened was a fundamental shift in our reality that I think is deeply related to some of the things that Carl Kalamann has to say. And so he and I continue to go back and forth and try to get further on this. And um, something did change fundamentally, and I think at this point it's kind of like harmonic convergence. Nobody thought anything was going on, but then years later they realized something really happened. So the trilogy is set up to explore that. And so the characters, you know, like Simon Appel, the reporter, thinks that all the people who talk about 2012 are completely nuts. So he takes the role of all the people who made jokes out of it. Well, it isn't a joke. We we are experiencing a fundamental shift in our reality. And um, that's why, that's really why I wrote this novel, is to to attempt to get a hold of that. And and I think some of the characters have gotten um, a pretty good hold on it, especially um, Claudia. Well, and what I find interesting is beyond that, I mean, as history is unfolding before your eyes right now, you are unfolding that in the continuing story. I mean, yeah. that that's a really beautiful thing, how you're – and it's no different than how you wrote the first book. I mean, it's just – and you do it on a personal – on a, what, a microcosmic and a macrocosmic level, I guess I would say, through the eyes 
of these characters because the two are really the same. Yeah, and this is the kind of fiction I wanted to write. Like, I really, really admired War and Peace by Tolstoy. That was one of my favorite. I, I almost got, I almost, I, I was a student of Russian languages and literature, and I almost went in that direction. And um, Tolstoy's novel, of course, is a great sweep, a great historical sweep, with the lives of people, you know, going along in the middle of this historical sweep. And I think we're at a time like that. I think we're in the middle of an amazing moment in history. And I just can't resist exploring it through these characters. And it's making it kind of hard for me to socialize <laughs> because <laughs> these characters are so real to me. I mean, if I want to have a conversation, um, who, who's saying what about what, if you get my drift? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have kind of a strange world going on right now because I have a, a construction in my writing room. My writing room, by the way, is, is very small. It's four by six feet. I always work uh-huh. on really tiny space, and I have this timeline going from 2011 through 2020, and I'm just tracking what's going on, and um, it's it's really, you know, and I have to I, I have to be somewhere in that timeline. It's actually um, really kind of an amazing experience. I think all fiction writers, maybe they do this. I'm not sure if they do, but I know uh-huh. I'm doing it, yeah. Well, well you're certainly <laughs> inspiring, I think, more of us to put ourselves in that space, and and when it comes to you saying that, you know, I don't know what you said exactly, but you're interacting strangely or something. I wonder sometimes, Barbara, what is normal anymore in this world? I mean, it's it's kind of like strange is the the new normal. I mean, that's that's the multidimensionality. I mean, many of us feel that way in our own ways. I think. Yeah, and I think that that's of course my teaching and. Pleiadian agenda and alchemy uh-huh. of nine dimensions. The importance uh-huh. of staying grounded in 3D, boy, yeah. and not, and not <laughs> doing drugs and not going schizophrenic and all that kind of stuff because it's very very hard to be in 3D now, especially because of the pressure from the fourth dimensional collective mind. And so these, yeah. again, these yeah. characters are they're teaching uh, us by watching how they do it. I'd say. Yes. Yes, and what I notice with your characters is um, even while they're having certain visionary experiences or moments in, in these settings, the, the being in the real world, and, and I can relate to this very much, by the way, Barbara. I've had my issues with grounding in the past, especially, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Kundalini energy, mystical energy, it's very powerful, and it's nothing to play with, um, and, and it can overwhelm people. And we've had experts on this show talking about this. So so what your characters tend to reveal is they are very present. They they ground themselves in place sometimes. I mean, you you're, you do show that, I feel. And it's important what you're talking about here, very important. Yeah, and it's something you can only show. It, it's an interesting thing where fiction really was the only way to go. Like, for example, the last three or four years um, since the end of the mind calendar, we're getting all of this stuff about ascending through the fourth dimension and up through the fifth dimension and all that stuff, which has its it makes its points um, because the fifth dimension and the fourth dimension are more open to us now. But the truth is, the trick is to stay right in 3D and then yeah. participate yeah. in the consciousness of these other dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's a joy. It's an amazing way to live. Yeah. I think that. And sometimes I think many children have lived this way. You know, it, what's so interesting about it is you think, you know, when I was a child, I think I experienced this or that. The more that, that we enter into it, and you wonder if it isn't kind of a reconnection back to, uh, in some ways, a very innocent way 
of experiencing the world and the the greater world with a capital G. <laughs> yeah, and the new character in the sequel, and I won't give too much of this away, but there's a baby uh-huh. coming. And oh, I have it's, it's, it's a baby. It's an infant, or 10 months, basically 10, 12 months. Uh-huh. And um, it's amazing to go into the consciousness of a, of a toddler, of a, of a, of oh, a baby, yeah. because they are multidimensional, and they're trying to get grounded in 3D. And so if you observe them carefully, fortunately I have a granddaughter I've been able to watch fairly carefully. And uh-huh. if you watch them fairly carefully, they're they're just out there in all of these outer worlds, and they're trying to figure out how to get along here. And it's kind of ironic that so many adults are trying are, are trying to do the opposite in a sense, especially in the new age. It's kind of funny where the trick is to to really perceive reality in the third dimension and deeply perceive it. And this brings up the issue of of technology and cell phones and iPads yeah, and all yeah. this kind of stuff because so yeah. many people are spending so much time in cyberspace, and cyberspace uh-huh. is the fourth dimension and not the third dimension. So something people have got to be really careful as they're in those realms for so many hours of the day, whether they're grounded or not, and whether they're whether they're you know when I see, when I see people with small children or people with babies on their iPads and on their cell phones and not paying attention to the child, I do wonder what's going on. Yeah, yeah, it's like we're that that, that is true that that we lose sight of the the real world right around us, and so yeah. that that's such important wisdom. Now, we're rapidly nearing the the end of our hour, and I really would like to take a few minutes because there certainly are listeners in the Oregon and Washington area here, since I'm based here in the Pacific Northwest. I'd like you to talk briefly about what you're going to be doing at New Renaissance this upcoming Saturday, November 21st, um, because I know both (laughs) you and your husband are going to be there. Well, this is, I'll, I'll answer you first by saying I don't know, but, but there's a reason. Oh, for that's that. even better. No, no, there's a reason <laughs> for that. I've been I've become over the years um, known to be a person who has the latest news, and so uh-huh. the reason that I'm writing a novel is I'm dealing with you know what's going on with the latest news, what's really happening with reality, and so that's what I'll be doing on Saturday, and I strongly suspect that it's gonna it's gonna be uh, related to to the events in France. But yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't know. What I do is I, I basically, when I'm teaching, um, I have a basic plan, obviously, and, and a lot of people have been with me at New Renaissance before. But then yeah, I, actually, I, let, I have, yeah, yeah. long okay, ago. Okay, so then what happens is once <laughs> I set the field and have a plan, then I let the other dimensions uh-huh. come come through me. So in that sense, I don't know, but, I, but it's certainly going to be the latest news because that's what we need to understand right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a very powerful event, and it is true. I I went to one of your events, Barbara. I think before I ever even had a show. I mean, it was quite a long time ago. I know I can't even remember. It was well before 2012, and and you do set the energy for your events, and you know I I expect quite a gathering, and you're calling it a gathering, yeah. and and you know I encourage people to to register, and there's a way to do that on on the page because um, I love that you call it a gathering because it just opens it up to anything that it can be, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. And then Jerry teaches with me, of course, and Jerry's just wonderful because Jerry's body and I'm mind. And so he uh-huh. he keeps me grounded, actually, because he's just so solid. And so the two of us will be doing this together. Yeah, it, it sounds absolutely wonderful. And, you know, let me say here at the 
the end of the hour that that um, I am so very thankful, Barbara, that we were able to arrange this very rapidly, that the listeners who are able to find it, I know some are finding it in the podcast across time, and I just want to thank you. Thank you for coming here again. What a joy it is to talk to you. And thanks for your support, because that's how I'm going to make it. I want I want this <laughs> trilogy to get out there, you know. <laughs> well, I I certainly trust that it will. You know, with something that's coming to you in such a guided way, I, I just know it's going to propagate, and it has all the elements to do exactly that. So, so um, again, I am so appreciative and, and very much honored whenever you come here. So, so thank you so much. Thanks, Susan. Bye. All right. Take care. Um, just a quick show note, and yes, welcome to you, the listeners across time, those who have been listening to the podcast, and also I'm very thankful to the live audience. I know this one is once again going out to a broad spectrum of people from different spiritual backgrounds, and I really do invite you to explore this book. Um, it, it For those who heard the my dinner with Andre discussion even last week where that came up, always a synchronicity, I swear, because that's not that well-known of a movie. Um, it's very much about exploring different ways of looking at the world and can we come together and and look with with new eyes at some things and understanding. And Barbara said some really important things today about how we want to come together in a space of mutual understanding more and more because that's how we're going to shift this planet is by reaching out heart to heart. It's not that there isn't darkness in the world. I mean, we see it. We saw it last weekend. And and let me do say my heart goes out to anyone impacted by that directly, and we are all impacted truthfully in one way or another. But to the families and loved ones, a lot of people have been impacted. And, you know, we have to keep in our hearts as well the refugees. Winter is upon us. We're not always hearing what's going on. I know there was a fire. I saw that in the news. That was a a difficult thing. And there's still some really hard things going on in this world, not to mention the ongoing wars. And, and, you know, we can, we just send our love to those parts of the world and around us to those who are struggling. So um, I want to note here, I have another show scheduled at the last minute coming up, and this one is going to be a real delight, and I just want to make sure I get the right time here, right at the last minute here, Friday, um, November 20th at 1 p.m. Pacific, I have a special guest, Susan Hoskins Camp, and she is going to talk about a book that literally fell off the shelf into my hands around 2003, it would have been, yes, Dancing with Angels. And I really, I have been, I never knew that I would get a chance to talk to Susan. And her book had a dramatic impact on my life, and I want to share it with you. And so expect a very special show that has a lot to do with gratitude, because we're heading towards Thanksgiving, and I will almost become in tears here talking about just how much Susan's book, Dancing with Angels, came to me at a time when I thought there were demons all around me, when I was having trouble with grounding in the in the space of some really powerful 
spiritual awakening experiences and when my life was at a crossroads. And I feel that what she shared, which is a vision essentially with angels, is something that can reach out to everyone. It conservatives, non-conservative, it doesn't matter who you are. This is a powerful book. So um, join us Friday, November 20th, and FrontierBeyondFear.com is the place to go for all the archive shows and the upcoming schedule. We may even have one Thanksgiving week. I'm looking into bringing a returning guest on to talk about, as a matter of fact, um, spiritual emergent experiences and exactly how to be grounded. Um, we'll see if we can get get that arranged in time because Catherine Lucas, who wrote the book In Case of Spiritual Emergency and has a new book that's coming out this week, um, is going to be coming back on the show, and I'm not sure exactly when, but you can expect that within the next couple of weeks. And all very relevant. These shows are all flowing together now, which I think is amazing, right down to references from one show to the next. That is spirituality in action. That's synchronicity in action, and I just love the flow of this. And I do very much invite you to more deeply explore Barbara Hanclough's work. If you're in Portland, get out to that event. And, um, you know, she has just done so much in in many years' time to reveal many aspects of our reality. And I'm going to get back to Revelations of the Ruby Crystal soon here because it's a wonderful book that I'm really enjoying and it really has some very deep wisdom as well. It's enjoyable and it's informative at a very deep level. And those are the best kinds of books, of course. And it's also um, adventurous and, you know, it, it expands your horizons. Um, it has all the elements. So um, I do encourage you to explore that. So once again, FrontierBeyondFear.com is the place to go to learn about this show if you are called to support this show, this is a listener-supported broadcast. I welcome your energetic support, your prayers, and also any other ways that you choose to support the show, and you can find out about that on FrontierBeyondFear.com. Thank you so much for being here today, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.